worship team here at Renew. Um, first, I just want to do a quick prayer so that we can prepare our hearts um, to receive the scripture for this morning. Father, uh, open our hearts that we may interact with your Holy Spirit in this space and receive the message that you want us um, to have. Uh, help us be attentive to your, to your whisper, to your voice, um, and your will that you speak to us. Um, through prayer, help us, um, help us ask for what we need. Help us pray and support for each other. Um, amen. Okay, the scripture for today is Luke 1, 46 through 55. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. May God's word shape us and form us. Thanks, Casey. So we are transitioning from uh, Advent and Christmas and all of that, uh, but we continue to remember as a church uh, what Christ's birth and his incarnation and his presence in our lives, right? It's not just during Christmas that the baby Jesus is present among us, right? We continue to worship God and Emmanuel, God with us. Um, but I'm excited because we're transitioning into a series about prayer. And I've entitled this uh, series, Teach Us How to Pray. And this is a quote from the Gospels where the disciples of Jesus go to Jesus and say, Lord, teach us how to pray. And Jesus goes on to uh, say, when you pray, pray like this and give one of the most famous prayers in Scripture. Because Jesus said, this is how you should pray. It's called the Lord's Prayer, uh, a version of the Lord's Prayer. And he says, when you pray, pray like this. Uh, we're not going to go over the Lord's Prayer this week, uh, but the series is called Teach Us How to Pray. And I think prayer is really interesting in the church because uh, prayer, in my eyes, uh, from my experience, is the way, the medium in which we connect with God, in which we communicate with God, the living God of the universe. And yet, growing up in church and being in church, 
the question I've always asked myself is, why is corporate prayer or prayer meetings or prayer so boring, right? Why is it so hard for me to pray? Or when I try to pray personally in my personal prayer times, in my bed usually late at night, why do I always fall asleep before I say amen, right? Why is it so hard to pray? Why is it so difficult to pray? Because in any relationship, in any intimate relationship where there's connection, there's communication, right? There's a give and a take, a speaking and a hearing, a speaking and a listening. And so if we believe in Jesus Christ, if we believe God is with us, if we want a dynamic relationship with God, both as individuals and corporately as the body of Christ, wouldn't we want to talk more with God, right? Wouldn't we want more interchange, a give and take, a listening and a speaking, a giving and a hearing with the God of our universe? Right? If God is real, wouldn't it be awesome to talk with him? And so I think this is what prayer is. And, but I think like any type of skill, right, you need to train, you need to practice. You need to learn about different ways. For instance, like when you go to the weight room and you want to work out, there's so much, many different types of equipment and so many different types of workouts. There's a curl, there's curling, there's bench press, there's leg press. And now in the kind of 20, like a 24 hour fitness, some of those updated gyms, there's machines I've never seen before. It's like, oh, I didn't know I had that muscle. What, are, what do you do with this thing? And so you have to learn and you have to train yourself to work out so you can build your muscles. And there's different ways to do it. You can do light weights and lots of reps for more toned look or heavy weights with like bursts of energy if you want to just bulk up. And, um, and so you need, there's kind of a learning curve. And I think the same um, is the case with any spiritual discipline, including prayer. There's a learning curve and there's practice. And, and then there's, there's kind of a personalized approach, but also ways that the community of faith can grow together in the practice of prayer. Um, this week, my son was asking me about different religions in the world. Um, and he asked me, which religion is the truest and the greatest? And, you know, I'm like, I don't know, I think it, I suppose it was my intuition that led me not to answer him so straightforward, right? Uh, I could have said, Christianity, of course, no brainer, um, but I just imagined him going to school and I had this picture of him going to his Jewish friends or his Muslim friends and saying, Jesus is the greatest! <laughs> You know, and saying, he beats up your God. And, and then getting in a fight with his friends. And so I was like, no, I'm not going to take that approach. Um, what I was interested in was what was behind this question? What really was behind this question? So I said, well, why do you ask? And he says, 
I don't know. I just think Jesus is the most powerful and Christianity is the truest and we're right. So I'm like, okay, I'm on to something. There's something like, there's something in there. There's something deeper in there. Then he pauses and then he says, is Jesus the only true God? But how do you know Jesus is real? What if Jesus isn't real? I'm afraid to die. So all of these fears and insecurities are coming out, right? And here's a little insight into boys and men, maybe, right? When men are being like, I'm the best, I'm the greatest, right? Usually that means deep down inside, it's like, I'm afraid. I'm the best, I'm the greatest. I'm afraid. Uh, so that's some key insight. Um, so he's afraid. What he's actually afraid of it's actually not Jesus is the truest and Christianity is the greatest religion in the whole world that beats all religions and we're right because we follow Jesus and we go to church. The question is, I'm afraid to die. What happens when I'm not in control? What happens if Jesus really isn't true? If God really isn't real and we're wrong? What's going to happen to my life and to our life? Right? And... Uh, so, as a parent, my, the gears are like turning around in my, in my head, and I'm like, as a pastor, I should raise my kid up in the, right, in the doctrines of the Lord and the right precepts and scripture. So what I could have done was answer him with a bunch of scripture and say, oh, Jesus said I'm the tr way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father but by me, right? Just believe in Jesus and you'll be saved. You'll go to heaven. Uh, to answer, to give these kind of scriptural basis uh, for him believing in Jesus, for him trusting that the way to go, uh, the way of faith in Jesus is the true way, and to give him assurance in the authority of scripture, quote some biblical passages. But I paused because I like to be a little unorthodox and instead said, why don't you ask Jesus if he's real? If he's real, don't you think you can talk to him and he will talk to you? So in that moment, I had a decision um, as a discerning parent to offer my son biblical and theological truths about who Jesus is, which, don't get me wrong, it's very important. Right? That's what our children are learning downstairs, right? Um, but, you know, you've heard the old adage, give a person a fish and he'll eat for a day. Teach him how to fish and he'll eat forever. At the core of my son's question was a fear and a longing, a fear that there really wasn't anything or anyone out there that was bigger than his world of anxiety and a longing for connection and relationship with God to teach my son how to pray, albeit less concrete and simple, in the long run was teaching him how to fish. To teach my son to pray was to teach my son how to fish. And so as we begin this new series on prayer called Teach Us How to Pray, my hope is that we will get some fishing lessons in prayer 
by looking at some prayers in the Bible. How do people pray in the Bible? What different kinds of prayers are there? When do they pray? How does God respond? Um, and so our first prayer, uh, which traditionally is called the Magnificat, or Mary's Canticle, or Mary's Song, First of all, you're going to say, is this a prayer? It's Mary's song, right? It, it's a song. And um, my response to that is, songs of praise, songs of worship are prayers, right? It's our declaration to God, our crying out to God, our speaking out and responding to God um, about who, uh, our declaring about who God is. And so as Mary is giving praise and magnifying and glorifying God, She's crying out to God. She's giving uh, a prayer. She's making a prayer of thanksgiving, a supplication to him, um, thanking him. And then she's putting uh, her experiences into context, into the greater context of the story of Israel and God's work, his hand at work in, in the history of Israel and the salvific work, God's salvific work, the answering of promises, the covenant with the nation of Israel as a whole, and she's connecting the dots and placing herself in that story and saying, thank you, God. Thank you for everything that you've done. So we'll, we'll take a look at this. So the Magnificat, or Mary's song, uh, the reason why it's called the Magnificat is because uh, from the Latin Vulgate translation of the Gospels, that's the first word. Magnifica. And like Erica said, all the children, it sounds like magnify, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so that's the beginning, which is Magnifica anima mea domino. My soul, uh, what is it? <laughs> My soul magnifies the Lord. Right? My soul magnifies the Lord. Um, the other thing uh, to know in terms of background is that there are four songs total uh, in Luke 1 through 2. In Luke 1 through 2, basically the infant narrative, the birth narrative of Jesus, there are four, if you will, Christmas songs. Uh, and the first, the first song is Mary's song, which we're looking at today, which is Luke 1, 46 through 55. The second one is Zachariah's song, Luke 1, 67 through 78. Luke, uh, Zachariah is Elizabeth's husband. And uh, the angel comes to Zechariah and prophesies that Elizabeth will give birth and have a son. Um, she's been barren. And this is uh, later on he gives praise to God. And this is, that's his song. And then there's the angel song magnifying uh, during Christ's birth. Uh, the angels lifting up their songs, their voices in song. And then finally, Simeon's song in Luke 2, 29 through 32. Um, this is the prophet uh, who's been waiting for a long, long time for the consolation of Israel. And when he learns of the Messiah, he finally like, breaks out in song and prays to God. But let's hone in on Luke 1, 46 through 55, Mary's prayer. And it starts off, uh, and Mary said, my soul glorifies or magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices 
in God my Savior. And so it starts off like a lot of Hebrew poetry um, started off back in the day, and you may see this in the Old Testament, uh, with a parallel couplet. Right? If you've studied Shakespeare, there's couplets, or poetry, there's couplets, which are two lines that are, have a rhyme, or two lines that are parallel. And so if you look at this, the parallelism that's going on is my soul, in 46, my spirit in 47. My soul glorifies, my spirit rejoices. And then the second part of each sentence or verse is another name for the Lord. So my soul glorifies who? My soul glorifies the Lord. My, uh, my spirit rejoices in who? My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. So my soul, my spirit, Glorifies, rejoices the Lord, God, my Savior. So my soul, my spirit, the Lord, God, my Savior. And what I see from this, uh, from this beginning, is that Mary is crying out from her deepest inner self. My soul, my spirit. And who is she crying out to? Who is she magnifying? Who is she rejoicing in? That's the Lord, God my Savior. And so in prayer, we see the first kind of uh, reason for prayer, or purpose for prayer, is a relational, a deep relational connection between the individual and God. Right? My heart calls out to you, God. Right? And, and uh, there's a psalm where David, the psalmist says, and deep calls out to deep, right? The, the depths of my soul and my spirit cry out, magnify, give praise to you, God. Right? There's a string from our hearts and our souls to God up there. There's a string. She goes on. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, and as I read, I want you to uh, kind of pay attention and look for the words generations. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. So this theme of generations, from generation to generation, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. All his mercy extends to everyone who has feared him from generations to generations. Right? And again, this is this idea in her prayer that Mary is realizing that it's not just her, right, herself in this situation. Right? That she, her story, is connected to the greater story of Scripture, to the greater story of the people of Israel, to the greater promise, right? to the greater family. And, and, and in the Bible, you'll notice that there's connection between family and covenant. Right? Basically, God's covenant with the people of Israel in the Old Testament, that's a promise or kind of a relationship that's built with a nation or a family, right? And Mary is recognizing in her prayer and her praise and her song her connection to the generations, 
that she's not just an isolated individual in history, but that she has a sense of connection to the past, the future, and the present. Um, and there's a very important, there's a uh, story is really important and context is really important. Mary is connected to something larger than herself. It is the story of Israel. It is God's salvation story that now she is a part of and that we are a part of. Right? And so in prayer, um, perhaps you've prayed the prayer like, You've got a cut on your wrist. God, heal me of my cut on my wrist. That's oversimplifying, right? Heal me, God. Heal me, God. Right? But in our, in our prayer and our praise, um, we begin to realize that God is bigger than our, our immediate experience, right? our immediate connections, what's going on in our life, but that, that we are part of God's work in the world, right? Who God is. And as you continue to pray about that scratch, maybe the scratch isn't going away for six months and you keep praying and praying and praying. You, you pray persistently. You go to the doctors. You don't know what's going on, but this, it's not even scabbing. It's just red. It keeps bleeding and it's not going away, right? But you're not dying. It just keeps bleeding for six months. Right? And you're like, what is this strange mystery? And you're praying and praying. And I'm sure in those prayers, right, you become more, your soul cries out to God, and you become more and more connected to who God is. And God reveals more and more um, as you continue to pray, and it becomes more nuanced. But as Mary is praying, she's connected to the generation. The third thing that I want us to point out, and that's the next slide, uh, is the theme of reversals in Mary's prayer. So the reversals that uh, she has, and I'll, I'll just read it really quick. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful. And then verse 55, finally, again, that idea of generations and family and covenant to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Um, but the reversals that we see here are he scattered the proud, he's brought down the rulers, and he sent away the rich empty-handed. On the flip side, God has lifted up the humble has filled the hungry and has helped his servant Israel. What does Mary's prayer, like what does Mary's experience have to do with all of these reversals? Right? And we see a clue to that um, when she starts off with in 48, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. Like God hears me. God has heard me. Even though I'm just this 14-year-old virgin girl from a random town, he's seen and been aware of my humble state. Right? God sees me. And 
I don't know about you, but that this really connects with me in terms of sometimes I think like, is this worth praying over? Like this seems really insignificant. Or my problems, right? First world problems, hashtag. <laughs> it's like, really are there pro- are they problems? Really? Am I just being spoiled or whiny? Right? I'm sure Mary felt that way. Why would God, the God of the universe, the God of Israel, even consider a lowly person like me? Right? And in context, what's, what Mary's prayer is coming right after she meets up with her cousin Elizabeth, right? Who's pregnant with John. And as soon as they see each other, the, John the Baptist, the baby, leaps in Elizabeth's womb. Right? And he says, Blessed are you, Mary, for when I saw you, the baby leapt with joy in my womb. You are so blessed among women. Right? Something special is happening. God is working through us somehow. God is initiating a plan of salvation for the world. And that's something to be rejoiced over, right? The most insignificant of people, the least likely for God to be, to be heroes, to say, be a part of the salvation story of the world, God is using, and the baby leapt in my womb. And that's what's happening inside of you. And Mary's like, whoa. Right? That big, this huge, bigger picture is happening to me. And I was a nobody. I'm insignificant. Praise God, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. Right? And this Savior, this Jesus, what is Jesus going to be about? Jesus is going to be about flipping the tables, right? He is going to be about reversals. Right? Luke, like Luke chapter 4, the Spirit, he quotes Isaiah uh, 60. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, right? I, to proclaim, Jesus inaugurates his ministry by saying, quoting Isaiah and saying, proclaiming freedom for the captives, the blind will see, the poor will be uplifted. That, that's what Jesus is going to do when he, when he comes. And so Mary's plugged into this idea and she feels it in her soul because it's her very life that's being turned upside down. And there's a reversal going on. Like, I thought no one was listening and no one was watching. But in fact, God is mindful of me. Amen? Amen. And God is mindful. And this is big because God is mindful of the whole world. God is mindful of the poor who cry out. God is mindful of the oppressed who need justice. God is mindful of you when you have the very insignificant prayer and you're crying out to him. This idea of mindful, right? It basically means God is listening, right? God is listening to you and he cares about you, his humble servant.
He cares about what's going on. He cares about your humble state, right? The things that you're embarrassed to tell people about, right? The things that you're embarrassed to show people. God is mindful of that. He's paying attention. <laughs> um, are you with me, church? Amen. Reversals. Reversals. And then again, we see this connection uh, in 54. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful. God remembers to be merciful. But you see that word servant, and that word servant Israel automatically goes, takes us back to the top of the prayer uh, where Mary says he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. So Mary is his servant, and Israel is servant. So once again, Mary's story, Mary's, Mary's prayer, is a stream that kind of begins to flow with the greater stream of the story of Israel. Right? Because God has been faithful to his promises to Israel. God has been faithful in his covenant with Israel. So too has God been faithful to this humble servant. So too has God been faithful and we have to realize for ourselves what does it mean to be a part of the God story right? how has God been wor at work around you uh, in the people around you in your experience in this church in your family right? and how um how is he, how is God the same there as he is going to be with you? Amen. God is constant and consistent in the same God. And he's faithful. Basically what this is saying, Mary is saying, is God is faithful to his promises. Right? God has been faithful in the generations. He's been faithful to his servant Israel. And he's faithful to me. God is faithful to the people in the Bible when I open up my Bible and I read it. And he has been faithful to me. And he will be faithful to you. Amen? Amen. And this is what should give us confidence to pray. God is mindful. God is faithful. God is listening. God cares. And God has done it. And he's consistently done it. And whether we see the whole picture or not in our prayers... God, right? God is faithful to his promises. Um, teach us how to pray. And finally, I wish I had the magnifying glass. <laughs> My soul magnifies the Lord. Right? A type of prayer is the prayer of magnification. Right? Where you... Uh, sit and praise the Lord. What has God done in your life? What is God doing in your life? How has God already heard you? How has God turned the tables in your situation? Right? Things were going like this, and he turned it around. Because God is the God of reversals. Amen? And for us to take stock, to take inventory of what God has done is a big part of what it means to be a person of faith. To be a Christian is to remember 
and to take inventory of what God has done and he's already doing and continues to do. And it's there. We only have to reflect upon it in prayer. Right? And it's a discipline. Sometimes I forget because I'm fo- what am I focused on? I'm focused on the thing that's negative, right? Or the thing that isn't happening, the stuff that I don't have. But if I stop and consider the story of God in my own life, what is God doing in your life? Ask that question. To stop, even if open up your journals, and I'm gonna I'm gonna pass these out. I think if you don't have like a prayer journal, uh So these are actually, I've had these for like 10 years, uh, but they were a, uh, if you look at the back, 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 there was an organization called Feed India, and uh, these were kind of a micro business started um, where these are hand-stitched journals uh, for people in Calcutta, and they were selling it. And so it did, we, we purchased some 10 years ago, like in a campus ministry I was doing. So it did go to help that ministry, I don't know if they still exist or not, but it did help them. <laughs> uh, but if you don't have a, a practice of keeping a prayer journal, I'm going to ask uh, us to keep prayer journals um, during this series, just to have the practice of it. And what a prayer journal is, is when you're praying, anytime you're praying, it's just like a journal, right? If you have a question or you're praying something specifically to write those prayers down so you can keep track of them right and put a date and something like that if you're listening to God if you're praying in prayer and you hear something like and maybe you don't know if it's true is it just my own mind am I playing tricks on me am I hearing voices in my head or is this God speaking to me to write that down, doesn't matter. Don't, don't worry about whether it's true or right or, or not. Just write it down. And to go through that day after day, month after month, year after year. And even to go back, and if there have been answers <coughs> to your prayers, to write that down and uh, to write the date. If God gives you scripture passages, right? Oh, for some reason, John 5.32 is really like, impressed to me and then you read it oh this really this really means a lot to my to me right now to write that down John 532 a word if someone asks in the congregation or someone in your life gives you a word of truth you know what a word of truth is like they come to you and say you know I feel like God is telling me this may sound weird is telling me to say this to you right this about you and gives you some encouragement. That's a that's a word of knowledge or a word of truth. Anything, any any way that God could be speaking to you, in any way that you're crying out to God. Um, does that make sense? 
to try that because when you write it down, I don't know about you, I forget things unless I write it down. But when you write it down and you go back over it, you begin to see the story, right? You begin to see the whole picture that God is indeed at work in your life, right? And God is indeed answering prayers or transforming your prayers into what you're really praying. Um, but so for homework for this week is we're gonna, I'm gonna have you write a Magnificat, right? So like Mary gave praise and glory to God, take some time to just write a prayer that's giving praise and glory to God. God, I give you thanks, I give you praise because, right? You've done this, you've done this, and this is who you are in my life, and this is how you've been at work. Does that make sense? So we'll take like five minutes or so to create a magnet. I think you just have 